Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Peace and love, everybody. Thank you for chiming in tonight again. We are here live on the Brokenness the Boldest Talk Show. Of course, you know I go right into my field. We have amazing guests here tonight that have offered to tell their story in order to help break the cycle of domestic violence for victims and or abusers here tonight. That's what we do on the Brokenness of Boldness Show. We're doing it for women, men, and teens. We're doing it for schools. We're doing it for churches. We're doing it for clubs. We're doing it for uh, parties. We're trying to break the cycle because Domestic violence don't have no specific location. It can show up anywhere, okay? It does not have no specific person that is searching out. It can happen to anybody, okay? And so I think by us having our brokenness of bonus talk show and getting the survivors going to be transparent here tonight is going to be amazing. I want to start out with our first guest here tonight. My sister's name is Melissa Holmes. She is the founder of Love Should Not Hurt, a DV support group, a support group that she started on Facebook. After being in an abusive relationship, she was looking for an arena to vent and post and provide support for people who have also suffered abuse. Melissa saw a need and started Love Should Not Hurt, a domestic violence awareness and support group. Okay, and we're going to talk to her and find out more about her story and why this group was so important to her. Peace and love, my sister Melissa. Thank you for chiming in tonight. Hey, how are you? All right. Thank you for being one of our brokenness to boldness speakers all the way from New York City. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss all, it. All right. We got love here tonight. I'd like to go right into it, sis. I want to know, who do you think you are for being in a domestic violence relationship? Tell us your brokenness and what happened to you. Well, I my brokenness started out years ago, I would say back in 1998. My first abuser, unfortunately, I, I had two consecutive abusive relationships. And the first one was my husband. More verbal, emotional, and it had gotten physical uh, maybe, I would say, two or three times. But the mental, for me, he had worn me down. It had gotten to the point that, honestly, I felt like he had taken a part of me and I didn't think that I could actually fight him anymore. Things had gotten so bad. And I had realized at some point that I needed to separate away from him. And if I didn't, one of us were going to get hurt or maybe even killed, and the other one was going to be in jail, which was not going to do neither one of us any good because then the kids would be without their parents, however. Um, And so how I actually got out of that relationship was he died in 2003. So after he died, I figured, oh, okay, you know, I'm out, you know, I can breathe, and I figured I would do the counseling thing because emotionally I he had really destroyed me. And it was really towards the end right before he had died with all the threats of he was going to kill me and having people come down to my job, you know, serving me with papers of child support and um, order of protection, and all kind of things. And the, actually the day that he died, I had spoken to him that afternoon about 2 o'clock. And he had threatened me, and he got to the point that I had said to him, you know what, you know, if you're going to have me killed, because he had always told me, 
after I had chose to leave with no place to go, sleeping at my job at nighttime and getting up in the morning and sending my daughter off to school. And I would get up and go around the corner to the diner, have breakfast, and then come back like I was just coming into work. It had gotten to the point that he had started with the threats that he was going to kill. And he would always say he would not get his hands dirty, but he would always have somebody else to do it. And then I find myself saying to him, after hearing this a couple of times, I begin to say to him, listen, you know, if you're going to do it, I don't even want to see it coming. Have somebody to catch me as I'm coming out from work. The only thing that I ask is that you don't have me killed in front of my kids. And that day, he had called and we had spoken, and he was a little angry because I didn't speak to him on the telephone, which I actually could not do because there was a waiting area full of patients. And he had threatened to come down to the job, and he was going to do this, and I had hung up the phone. But it was something he had something he had said to me right before I had hung the phone up was that today may be your day. And that stuck with me. So I figured, okay, this what do I do? Because now he, he really has me shook because now I actually don't know if he's going to make good on his word. And so I remember that day before I actually left the office, I had wrote this letter. And I had wrote, and I had told the girl, the receptionist at the front desk, that if I did not make it to work the next day, that she was to take this envelope that I was going to leave inside my desk, sealed up, she was to take that and she was to give it to the police. And on that letter, I had written my husband's full name, I had his date of birth, I had his social security number, I had my address to where he was living, but I had already left and found another place. So I had given his address and all of that stuff, stuff that I thought that they would need in case it came down to that. And this way they would be able to at least have some kind of lead to him and he would not get away with murder. That day, about 6 o'clock, I got a phone call. He had died from asthma. And so, like I said, I stayed single for about three years. I went to counseling emotionally to get because that was my first abusive relationship. In that relationship, I had never endured a lot of things because I had already, I had healthy relationships before that. So I didn't know how to internalize the things that he had done or the things that he was saying to me. I couldn't understand it. And so I knew at some point I needed to get counseling because I started to get in that depressed stage. And so I did the counseling. The counseling helped, and I went to counseling for like maybe a year, year and a half, and I felt like I was strong enough to put myself back out there and, you know, get back out there, start to date, and, you know, get to experience other things. And it was unfortunate that the next relationship I had gotten into was another abusive relationship, and that relationship turned out to be 20 times as worse than my husband's. The things that I had endured in that relationship, the last relationship, I sit back sometime and still can't believe some of the things that had happened. I was humiliated. This man had hit me in the street. He had fractured my nose the day before my birthday. I bought my birthday in one year in the hospital in the emergency room. This man had choked me six years ago and within 10 seconds of me losing consciousness. And he was going to leave me in the bathroom to die. I don't remember exactly what he was arguing about. And I didn't see, keep in mind that these were relationships that I had never seen any signs in the beginning because everything was fine. Me and my husband, we dated for five years before we had even gotten married. And it was the minute I said I do, I noticed something had started to shift. With the second relationship, I noticed a shift in that relationship after I had suffered a miscarriage. And, but I couldn't understand it, why the sudden 
pull back from me because I couldn't understand it because to me, I thought the fact that we had both just lost a child, that that should have brought us closer together. And it didn't. He started drinking more. He had lost his job and he started to run this, have this pity party for himself. And so things got real crazy real fast. And the straw that broke the camel's back was, like I said, he had come home from work and he had been drinking and he started arguing. I really don't even remember what the argument was about. All I know is that I didn't want to hear it. And so I went in the bathroom and I locked the bathroom door. I pulled the toilet seat down and I'm sitting on the toilet. And he is standing at the bathroom and he's shaking the bathroom door and he's saying to me, open the door. I just want to talk to you. I already know what's going to happen if I open this door. So I did not open this door. It happened so fast before I knew it. He had broke the bathroom door in, kicked the bathroom door in, and he had launched at me while I was sitting on the toilet. And he had my head back, had his thumbprints pressed up against my windpipe, cutting off my air. And I'm looking, and tears are rolling down the side of my face. And I just remember looking up at him, grasping up at his face. And I was trying to just utter the words, why? I just wanted to know why he was doing this to me. I couldn't understand it. And he looked down in my face, and he had told me, I can kill you right here and right now. And I can sit here in the house with your body and wait till your son comes home from school. Just so he can see the expression on my son's face when he finds my body. That man had told me a million times before that, that he would kill me or he could kill me. But the minute he said that to me, a light bulb went off. And at that very moment, it became crystal clear to me that that man was definitely capable of killing me. And I knew. It became crystal clear that I was in the fight for my life and I had to go into survival mode. And that things, I had to come with terms that things may get ugly because somebody may die in this relationship and somebody may go to jail. And at that moment, I had decided it wasn't going to be me. I wasn't going to be the one that he killed. I didn't want to go to jail either. But if I had to pick between the two, I'd have chose to go to jail. Wow, I had to take a moment off that one because that's pretty powerful right there. Pretty doggone powerful. Did you, because let me let me get into what I need to get out. And what I want to know is when he held you and that light bulb come on, right, let's, let's, let's talk to our sisters who are being held like that because it's sisters that are being held like that right now. What is it going to take for the light bulb to come on, sister? And I'm asking you, Melissa, because I don't know. You know, everybody, everybody is different. And everybody knows their breaking point. And mm-hmm. I guess I had said many a times before, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. But then, like you said, they get real manipulative. They get into your head. And the reason, and that, mind you, let's keep in mind, that relationship lasted four years. And that relationship lasted four years because this man told me he was going to kill my mother and he was going to kill my kids. And so to me, in my head, I'm thinking, as long as I stay here with this man and whatever he is doing to me, it was better for him to do it to me than him go do it to my mother or take this out on my kids. You know, he says it to me. I don't know if he's bluffing or not. And the minute I decide that I want to leave or he noticed that I'm gone, and then he actually tried to go make good on his work. That was something that I wasn't willing to have on my head. So he would say something, and so I would, I, I, I stayed, and he would go upside my head, and I was rebellious. I would talk back to him. I mean, we would literally fight. We had broken 
dining room tables and there was dishes thrown. I mean, we got into some powerful fights. But his thing was, as long as I was here in the house, he can go up upside my head all day, every day. Long as I'm right here. The moment I even think about leaving, this man is going to kill my mother. My mother is 87 years old. I can't have that. Wow. So this is, and this is why I said on Facebook, we should not judge the victim. We shouldn't judge the victim because if, it, I mean, like in your situation, if, if he telling you I will kill you, you, there's a lot of victims who's being told this and that is believing this. My best friend was told that and she is dead. Okay, so we cannot say just leave, just leave. What do? What should we say to the victim who is being held down and told, I can kill you right now? Because really that man can. What I would say to them, what I would say to them, you're right. People, the people on the outside looking in are so easily to judge and to say, you should leave. If that was me, I would have left. And I tell people all the time when I'm guest speaking, you can never say what you're going to do until you have walked in those shoes. Amen. Because for the simple fact, pe- the people on the outside looking in always think it's so easy that if something happened, if he knocked you, come home and feel like he want to knock your head off, mm. you mm-hmm. feel like you, they can just go and pack up luggage and they can just leave. It's not that easy because what they don't understand is wow. most deaths occur after the victim has left. Their partner. Wow. You saying something, So what they need to understand is that there's steps to making plans and make arrangements. Now, with this last relationship, I was living in Baltimore. And I knew at some point I was going to get the nerves. I was going to get the balls. up. I was going to find my balls and I was going to leave. I was determined. Whether it would have been, whether we would still been together five years from now or six, I knew at some point. I was going to reach my breaking point because he had already gotten me halfway there. And so when I would come up here to visit my mom, I started to leave, make preparations. I started to leave my important papers, my kids' birth certificates, leave all the original paperwork that I knew that I was going to need. I started leaving them up here. And then we came up for Christmas and we stayed after New Year's. And I started leaving clothes. I would come up here with a certain amount of clothes, but I would leave and go back to Baltimore and had little or nothing in there because I started leaving stuff just in case because I knew. Now, when I started to make preparations, it was unfortunate that when I had set a date that I was actually going to leave, it just didn't happen like that because things took a turn for the worse, and I ended up having to stab him in order to save me and my son's life and had to go and catch the next bus running down the streets of Baltimore, running into John Hopkins Hospital, hiding in the bathroom, calling my son from the bathroom, from the after-school program to meet me at John Hopkins. We got in a cab and went to the bus station and got the last bus, the 8 o'clock bus, from Baltimore back to New York. Wow. At that moment, I left all of my stuff in my house, everything. I pulled the phone out the wall. And this was because he came home, and he's drinking, and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm cooking. And he comes in about whatever it is that he's ranting and raving about. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to hear this. But I'm standing at the kitchen sink, and I'm washing dishes, where I had just got finished cutting up a whole chicken. So I'm cleaning the butcher knife, and I take it over, and I put it over in the drain. He's standing behind me, and I can see him standing behind me because I had glass cabinets. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is that he's talking about, and because I'm not responding, he's standing behind me, and he says to me, you going to listen to me, or I'll come up there and hit you again. At that moment, I can see in the cabinet as I look up that he's trying to approach me. I spun around and grabbed the butcher knife out the washer and held it up in front of me, and it was never intentionally for him to get stabbed. But I figured if I held it up in front of me, he would see it, and he would have calm enough sense not to come lunging at me. No, mm-hmm. he wasn't that bright. He lunged at me anyway, and instead of him lunging at me to try to grab me around my throat, he lunged right up into the knife and caught it right up in the chest. Mm-hmm. And at that very moment, I never stabbed anybody. 
The stuff that I had never unpacked from when we had just come back from Baltimore, from seeing my family after New Year's, I grabbed the suitcase. I had on no jacket. I grabbed my keys. I'm running down the street, pulling this suitcase, running to John Hopkins Hospital, hiding in the women's bathroom. Mm. I never, I left everything there. I didn't even know if he was dead or alive. So the landlord to that house called me and told me I had to go back down there. He apparently locked up everything down there, and she called me. And when I told her I was not going to renew the lease to the house, and she said to me, well, I said, listen, I can't stay here. This man is going to kill me. Mm -hmm. I barely escaped with my life this time. He catch me next time. He is going to kill me. Right. And I said, I'm leaving. I'm going back to New York to where my family is. And so then she locked up the place, and I went back down there February 28th of 2010 with two guys that were friend, long live friends of mine, went back and helped me get my stuff, pack it up. We rented a U-Haul, pack it up, drove it back to New York, and put it in storage. Mm-mm-mm. My goodness. All right. Woo, that's powerful, girl. That is powerful right there. Your testimony is powerful because it's so many young women and women that is dealing with your same story. Maybe not the same story, but those same behavior patterns from the abuse. And I just want to ask you this. Somebody would say, didn't you learn the lesson from when you was married to your husband? Didn't you learn your lesson? You went and stayed another four years in a relationship. What do you say to the person who says, didn't you learn your lesson? I would say to them, you never know a person. A person, you will never know a person or know how a person is until you're actually, it takes about a year or two to actually physically get to know somebody. Now, once again, I repeat, these were relationships that I had seen no signs. Like me and my husband, I stated, we dated for five years. My husband had never even, he didn't take a drink. Well, he would drink if we went out to the club to be sociable. I've never seen my husband drunk. He didn't smoke cigarettes. My husband was a blue-collar businessman, wore suits, went to work. No jeans, no sneakers, no blue-collar man. My husband, I didn't see any signs with my husband until after we said I do, I saw things change. But it wasn't until I started going back to therapy after this last relationship because now once I thought I healed from the first one, of course I got right back into another one, which was much more traumatic for me. And so it was a, a bit of a setback. So I knew that I needed to go back. I needed to get myself back into counseling. And then it was crystal clear to me because now I can see clearer now because I'm not being manipulated. I can function. It became crystal clear to me about my two abusers. My husband's behavior was learned behavior. My husband seen his father abuse his mother. My husband's father died of a heart attack at 31. My husband died at 33 from an asthma attack. And then he went into cardiac arrest. But he saw his father abuse his mother, which she never left. She stayed. She figured she needed to stay there because she had three kids by this man, and she didn't know anything but him. This last relationship, I stayed because it was a part of me actually did think that I can, I knew at some point, I realized at some point, I should say, that I knew that this man was broken. And I say, I realized that after I had the miscarriage, when I saw that there was a disconnect, that we had both lost a baby, but at some point he started to blame me for not being able to carry the baby full term. And it was a part of me, which we all probably do it, that's been abused. There was a part of me that thought I can love that man past his pain. If I show him 
that Melissa is not like every other woman that came before him, came before her, that he would see that all the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry and the this and so forth and the other, that I was just strictly for him. I didn't want nobody but him. But what Melissa did not realize is that he couldn't see that because he had already condemned me before he had even given me a chance. And I say that to say that once I went back to counseling and I dissected the things that had gone on, his is that he had women issues way before we had even gotten together. I just got caught up in some BS. And I say that to say that his mother had him when she was 14. She was an alcoholic. She then gave him to his grandmother, and his grandmother didn't want to have nothing to do with him, so he bounced back and forth between two aunts. And then when he got up of age to start dating women, every woman that came before Melissa has cheated on him. So there was nothing that I could do or say or convince him about Melissa was different from every other woman because I felt like if I showed him that I'm faithful, I do the cooking and the cleaning and I'm here and I'm just about him, that he would see but he couldn't see because he had already condemned me and had already, he had already set my path for me because he had already said, I'm just like every other woman. In his yep. eyes, I would always be like every other woman that came before me. Yeah. And to him, women, he had, he had trust issues. Every woman cheated on him. He felt that there, nobody loved him. There was, I just got caught up in some bull. Yeah. Wow. Sister, girl, your story is just amazing, honey, amazing. You have so many different elements to your story. I hear verbal abuse. I hear a lot of emotional abuse, especially with the first story. And then you went to therapy. What did did therapy lack at this point? Do you really feel like therapy was your downfall for for ending up back in that abusive relationship? Or was it just something that was not in built up in you, or what happened right there? No, I don't blame it on the lack of therapy. All I can say is that you don't know somebody until you get to know them. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody got on their put on their best behavior when you first meeting somebody. Mm-hmm. And so. If you're with somebody and you really don't see the signs in the beginning and they, everything is all fine and he's courting you, he's bringing you flowers and you're going out on dates and you're having date night and all the little things that they do to woo you and you don't see anything till you actually make it official. Right. And mm-hmm. now you have you now have that title of that's my man or that's my woman or that's mm-hmm. my wife or that's my husband. Then it becomes an issue. But mm-hmm. like I said... I didn't see anything with the second one until after I had the miscarriage. And then, like I said, he started drinking. Then it was right. just like anything. Anything right. just seemed to irritate him. He right. was never, you know, he wasn't never pleasant. And then when he lost his job, he, you know, of course, because men are supposed to be so providers or whatever, I guess he's feeling some kind of way. But I'm not here to stroke your ego. You like, because I'm feeling like, okay, if I'm pulling my weight, you know what I mean? I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm behind you. I'm gonna be behind you, but I'm not sitting to sit here on this pity train with you, cause right. you know what needs to be done. So you need to get up, and you you need to make it happen. Right. Right. Wow. All right, sister girl. Woo, girl. I can stay here with you all night. And your whole story, and we just <laughs> go over your whole story. <laughs> Thank you so much, girl, for your energy all the way from New York, girl. This is happening everywhere. Who yes, it ma'am, it is. Who said it only happened in one spot? Who came up with that analogy? It's wrong. This is happening everywhere, all over the world, to so many different sisters and men that are becoming more and more becoming victims of domestic violence at the hands of another person. What stands out for me is that especially with the second young man, he was emotionally damaged before you even got to him. Uh-huh. How was he able to suppress all of that? For eventually it was going to come out. So when you had the miscarriage, that's when it came out. Absolutely. You know? But he was already jacked up before you had the miscarriage. And, of course, like you say, 
there's some abusers who can play it off. You know, some of them can play it off longer than others. Mm-hmm. But something, something is going to hit where it's going to come out. And your story is just amazing. I thank you for your energy here tonight. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the Love Should Not Hurt movement. I know you had you started out with 30 members on Facebook, and now you're well over 1,000 members nationwide. Um, what, what's your intention with this movement? Why should the community, why should we support you with this movement? This movement is very, very important. I think because the nature and the severity of the domestic violence that's going on. I started this group about six years ago. It'll be six years in February. I started this group after my last abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, being a victim, you go through these many different emotions and you Mm -hmm. have this thing. You want to know why and you can't understand why you stayed so long. There's a million and one questions running in your head. Right. Now, keep in mind that these were relationships that nobody knew about. So mm-hmm. I actually could have died in silence because nobody, right. my mother, my family, friends, nobody. And it was mm-hmm. at a point that I had even made my kids promise not to say anything to my mom because whatever mm-hmm. happens in my house stays in my house. <laughs> Girl, you saying my words now. That right there is breaking up. The, that right there is causing domestic violence to happen. And because I was taught that as a child in my home, so I found myself instilling that in my kids. And so I was like, wait a minute, this is not even right. And I had Mm -hmm. to catch myself. And I had to say, hmm. And so after getting out of this last abusive relationship, like I said, these all these questions, and I just needed a place to go be able to invent because I had nobody to talk to. I'm Mm -hmm. embarrassed, first of all, you know, that I had even allowed myself to be in this situation, not once, but twice. And so I needed to work out some emotions on my own before I felt like I can even confront my family or my friends. Mm-hmm. And so I was at that time was very new to Facebook, and I figured out how to create this group. Mm-hmm. And I so, so I went into the group. It was just supposed to be my personal space, just for me to be able to just go in there and just to holler, scream, and say whatever it is. If I felt like I wanted to curse, just, you know, because it was a no-judgment zone. It was just me in there. But once I, what I did not know is once I was in there, that it now became public, although I had it as a secret group, that people now could request and you know, see what the nature of the group was and request to get into the group. Right. And so I realized that, you know, it was started out with like when I decided to make it open, you know, so that other people can come in and it started out with like 30 members and like overnight, literally like overnight, I went from like 30 members to like well over a thousand members. Wow. And so there were other people that were coming in there and because I would share my stuff and, you know, I would cry and I, I would say to him, like, I couldn't understand why he choked me. Like, why? I still had all these questions. Like, why? Why? Mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. angry that I had allowed him to do this. I was angry. I wanted to get back at him. I, and I literally just cried. Like, I just kept asking, why? Mm-hmm. Why would he do this to me? Why would he want my son to come home and find his dead mother? Like, I couldn't. I'm trying to get into the brain of an abuser, but it did not make sense to me, and I'm angry. And Uh when I realized that other people noticed that I was sharing my personal and deepest darkest, there were a lot of people that were coming in there saying, wow, you know what? I thought I was the only one that was going through this. So we started to have some things in common, and then it became to be just like a family. You know, although... There were different people that were coming in there. There were some, like you said, for sexual assault. Some were coming mm. in, you know, molestation, different things. But it all became crystal clear that we were all in this group for one reason, because we, had, we were survivors. We all had survived some form of abuse. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that people started to gravitate towards that, I said, oh, I might be onto something here. And mm. then it became crystal clear. 
I don't know why he let me go when he did, and I never questioned it. But I'm glad mm-hmm. that he did. And the fact that I got this second chance, now it's time mm-hmm. for me to speak out and tell my story mm-hmm. so that others would not get caught up in the same bull that I did not once but twice. Mm-hmm. And if I can help or save just one person, mm-hmm. then my job is done. Then I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have done that here on the Brokenness and Boldness Talk Show, honey. And you got the T-shirts for everybody, right? Yes, I do. You got the T-shirts. T-shirts. We got sweatshirts. I have soaps. I have a book that's going to be dropping this month that I co-wrote with two other young ladies that's going to be dropping later on this month. Um, You know, Love Shouldn't Hurt is doing some amazing things. I have a new partner that I'm so pleased we actually work so great together that her and I are now a team working together towards the goals of Love Shouldn't Hurt. Wow, that's amazing. Give everybody the web address. I'm sorry? Give out your website. Yes, the website is www.loveshouldn'thhurtny.com. Wow, say it one more time, sis. www.loveshouldn'thhurtny.com. Girl, you are just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love my sister all the way in New York, girl. Keep telling your story. Yes, Keep ma'am. Keep telling your story. Keep telling your story. You have provided us so much. Great information. We love you here on the Brokenness and Boldness Talk Show. We sisters now, so yes. Absolutely. Uh, Queen is a part of the Love Should Not Hurt movement. And I'm just so proud of you for being bold, being courageous, and like you said, speaking up and just sharing your story to help educate and not only educate but break the cycle for current victims, current abusers that are in these situations right now. We are so grateful to you. Thank you so much, sis. All the Thank way from you. New York, all the way from New York, sharing her love with us, pouring Absolutely. out her heart to us about being a victim of domestic violence. I know your hearts have got to be blessed by hearing our sister Melissa Holmes' story here tonight. What a Fabulous, fabulous. And see, I love people in spite of, you see what I mean? I can love you in spite of. I can hear some people hear your story and be judging, like we talked about tonight. Um, Like I mentioned on Facebook, you judging. You know what I mean? You judging somebody. And you don't know the fullness of what victims go through, what abusers have been through. You see what I mean? To cause this behavior to come out. Victims have their set of behaviors. Abusers have their set of behaviors. Put the two of them together, and you ain't going to have a happy home. I can tell you that right now, okay? But, again, we do thank our sister Melissa for chiming in to the Brokenness of Boldness talk show. If you are not my friend on Facebook, become my friend on Facebook at Q-U-E-E-N-A-F-I, all one word, Queen of Fee. Follow me as we go on this journey together to break this cycle of domestic violence and the many tags that it went. Um, And I want you to be a part. Of course, you can reach out to me at 202-821-8933. Any questions that I can answer offline, I'll be happy to try to do that. Any concerns that you want to address, I'll be happy to try to do that. Um, And, of course, you have the 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE hotline for those of us who you know, want to get more resources, want to try to break that cycle for yourself. You know, that is a resource number. That number does not help men. Unfortunately, it's not really good for men, victims. Um, but it does help a lot of women victims. Um, that that number is not good for people like me that, that, that are women abusers. I can't call the 1-800-799-SAFE and get some help. I can't because they just don't have it for me. So in that case, you want to reach out to me, again, 202-821-8933, or, of course, you can inbox me on Facebook, 
and get your information. That way I can try to work with you in another direction in terms of hooking up some resources to get you the help that you need to uh, break the cycle for yourself and or, you know, just talk in secret. Talk in secret about what you're going through. That's a good way to become courageous and bold. That's a good way to build yourself up. And by you being here tonight, you know, it's in secret what we're talking about here tonight. So I do appreciate all of our famous listeners, all of our new listeners that are on with us. Thank you for chiming in. We're going to move right forward to our second interview with our sister, Jennifer Wade. Um, I'm excited about her story as well and about her coming on to share because, yet again, we have it where the abuse is happening in many different households, many different races, um, and we can't just link it to one specific place. We can't, you know, the dressed-up people, blue-collar, like our sister said. You know, these people are victims of domestic violence, you know, and so we have to be willing to open up that door and see that it's not just happening to one specific group or one specific person, you know. So Jennifer is going to come on and share. She's from the DMV area. And as a child, she was a she was a victim of emotional and verbal abuse by her father. Due to her father's abuse, she never felt adequate enough or loved. She started seeking attention from boys. Lost her virginity at fifteen, pregnant at eighteen, and just was very lost. The father of her daughter was thirty three at the time, and when she was six months pregnant. They went their separate ways. Jennifer moved to Alabama to reconcile with her biological father, and while there she met another man, and she ignored some red flags about this guy, married him in 2008, and within six months he he revealed the monster he truly was. And I want to go there with her about, you know, what this monster looked like, um, and I want her to share her story with us here tonight. Oh, some amazing stories here tonight. Uh, let me get Jennifer on. Jennifer, hey, peace and love, sis. Thank you for chiming in tonight. Hi, thank you for having me. Most definitely, sis. What was this monster? Who was this person? What happened to you? Um, well, from the outside looking in, he looked like an ideal um, husband, I was wanting to settle down and have, I wanted to provide a father for my child. Um, he was previously married and divorced and had custody of his three daughters. So I figured, hey, he's got custody. He must be a good guy. Um, and I was wrong. Uh, some of the things that he did, I mean, he got physical with me twice. But I've always recognized that, and um, I fought back and got the better side of that fight, so he quit trying to do that. But he would demean me. He was very verbally abusive. Um, He was emotionally abusive financially. I couldn't even keep $5 in my pocket. Um, Sexually abusive, and by that I... Is more, he uh, ended up signing me up for some websites and made a point would talk with guys like he was me because I was refusing to do this. And he orchestrated everything and set up appointments, and these men thought they were talking to me. And one day he drove me to a hotel and told me not to get back in the van, so I gave him the money. Um, that went on and off. For the next almost five years, we were married nearly five years. Um, off and on, he uh, introduced me to cocaine. And the money that I made selling my body uh, went to pay for that habit. Uh, we would do two eight balls in one night, sometimes even more. Um, oh liquor. Straight. I mean, we'd both get a fifth of gin or something and drink it straight, and he would be like, drink more, drink more. On the times when I was like, this isn't right, and I would refuse the drugs, he mm-hmm. would just be 
right next to me with that straw. Come on, come on, come on. And he wouldn't leave me alone. So I'm like, fine, if, you, if I do this, will you just leave me alone? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and twice I was hooked on meth. And I became very depressed and extremely suicidal. There would be times I would be driving the van and driving down the street, those big metal um, light poles yeah. became very inviting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it, it would be nothing just to crash. If I get the right amount of speed, I won't feel a thing. Mm-hmm. And there were a handful of times that I literally sped up to 80 miles an hour on a 35-mile-an-hour street just to hit that pole, and I'd stop at the last second and swerve back on the road and not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter was a witness to a lot of what he was doing to me. She saw the drug abuse. She saw other things that she shouldn't have seen. Mm-hmm. And the way he kept me under his control because he knew that, you know, I treated his daughters like my daughters. Those were my kids. Um, he would say that if I ever left, because I threatened to leave, and I actually packed a bag, you know, basically an overnight bag, but that's all I could do that fast, he would stop me. Mm-hmm. He was a big guy, so he'd get in the doorway of the bedroom and wouldn't let me out the bedroom. I mm-hmm. busted the bedroom window trying to crawl out of it because I wanted to get out. He was yeah. back in by my ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time I tried to leave, the last unsuccessful attempt, he pinned me down to the bed for 20 minutes and left fingerprint bruises on my upper arm. Mm-hmm. Um, because of what we did, we were really close to law enforcement, and they all seemed to like him. I just felt like I couldn't reach out because they wouldn't believe me. Mm-hmm. And he always told me that if I left, he would make sure he got custody of my child as well as eliminate all communication between any of the kids. Mm-hmm. And and that's how he, he got me. I got a question for you. You said mm-hmm. dad was only a dad in the puppy. Right, I got several questions for your story, and I love your story. I think it's just amazing. Once again, another good story here on the Brokenness and Bowling Talk Show. I don't know how you cannot be helped by listening in. I'm getting helped all ends. Anyway, you said dad was only a dad in the puppet. At church, he ministered to people at the altar. I'm backing up a little bit and played the part of a loving husband and father. Behind closed doors, he was passive-aggressive, emotionally, mentally, and verbally abusive towards you and your mom, okay? So that's a cycle in itself. That's a cycle there, okay? And then you left to try to get away from that. And you would think that, you would know that cycle firsthand because, hell, you was raised in a household with a father who behind closed doors was abusing you. And you run into the arms of a guy who does the same behavior to you. Uh, I'm going to say like I asked Melissa, you didn't you learn your lesson? Apparently not. <laughs> um, I, I just, I wanted to a husband and a father for my child so badly mm-hmm. that I overlooked a lot of things. His, when I met him, his story was that his ex-wife cheated on him and just walked out one day, left the kids behind and never looked back. Okay. And so I attributed some of those signals and I ignored them as red flags and said, oh, that's just because he's damaged, but he'll do better. He'll see, like, like what um, Melissa was saying. Well, like what Melissa said, if I can show that I'm loyal, if I can, you know, I, I took on the whole, I was working full time, but I also, I cleaned the house, I cooked, I took care of four kids, got them everywhere they needed to go. Um, yeah. And it just, it wasn't enough. It wasn't until a couple years of enduring this that I realized, there's a reason why she ran out of the house and, and, and left kids behind. She didn't know what to do, and she knew his, 
he was powerful enough to take the kids from her if she tried to take them. Mm-hmm. But Jennifer, you said that you was loyal. You were so loyal that your abuser drove you to the hotel, pimped you out. You stated that pimped you out for nearly five years. How much loyalty do you need to break that cycle? And I'm putting myself in the shoes of our listeners out there who want to chime in and ask these questions because how much loyalty does it take? I mean, well, I, I didn't know that I was going to a hotel. He said, come on, let's go for a drive, which is something we would do sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then he's over right there manipulating you. He's manipulating right. you. Uh-huh. Right. He conditioned me to believe, oh, we're just going to go for a ride. This would be cool. Right, right, and right. That's how, that's how he got me. And the look in his eyes, I, I was in a town where I had no family. Right. I really didn't have, I didn't think I had any friends. Okay. Um, and I didn't think anybody would believe my story. Right. So I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll just do this a couple times, you know, make a couple dollars, and then I won't do it anymore. And anytime I tried, I resisted doing anything like that. He just came down on me so hard with those words. And I was a bad mother. I was a bad daughter, a bad sister, a bad mm-hmm. wife. Nothing I ever did was right. I was stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't succeed without him. I can't live without him. I wouldn't be able to survive. Nobody would want me, all that stuff. Wow. Wow. He pressured you with a lot of verbal abuse and, mi- and manipulation. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um. Very powerful story, sister. Very powerful story because, and I think about, when you say he pimped me out, and I think about all of our young girls who are being pimped, who are doing exactly what you're doing, what was done to you, doing exactly what was done to you. Oh, let's take a ride. And the next thing you know, you're going up in the hotel with somebody. And now mm-hmm. the abuser is so good at manipulating, you're thinking like the abuser now. So now you're thinking, oh, I'll make a couple of dollars, and I'll just do this for a while, and that's the same thing the abuser has conditioned you to believe. That exactly. You'll just, you'll just make a couple of dollars and you'll do it for the time being and you'll be fine. And if you mm-hmm. don't, you're a bad mother. That's when that comes into if you don't, do it. Yeah, I was a bad to- mom. I didn't care about the kids because I didn't want to earn any money. But he wouldn't let any time he caught me applying for a real job, I got gonna It wasn't going to happen. Right. He would rip the computer out the wall and all kinds of stuff. Oh, my goodness, child. Look, I thank you so much for this story. I want to go here because you went there, you went there so I want to go there. And, there. and there's a lot of, yet again, victim sisters who feel exactly like what you feel. We got a lot of fathers out there whose daughters feel exactly what you feel. I believe that was a dirty horse. You said fat, yep. ugly, stupid, worthless, a bad mom, a bad daughter, a bad wife, a bad person in general. Mm-hmm. I believe I was these things, right? And, yep. and, 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 and like you said, you became suicidal. So what do we say to these young girls who have your same story, who can identify with some of the same things in your story, and they say, I believe that was a dirty whore? I say that you're better than that. You deserve a much better life than that. In that kind of a world, I knew girls that was, had got beat by their clients and hospitalized. Um, fortunately, I, I was not one of them, but easily could have been. Um, you need to get out however you can. Um, reach out to somebody, start talking to somebody that you can confide in if if that's possible. If not, I know it's not pleasant, but a shelter is better than your body being abused. They're going to be nice to you to get you back in, but that niceness is a sheep, is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. They're only nice to get what they want, and they're going to get what they want no matter the cost. And if that means you die at the hands of one of your clients, then they could care less. Wow. And and I love you being transparent like that, and I thank you for that. 
because that's what we need. And you said that as time went on in 2013, you ended up being treated for severe depression and severe anxiety disorder. Yes. And was prescribed, they prescribed you antidepressants. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you was already an addict with the cocaine piece, the meth piece, and then you were prescribed the antidepressant for your, um, you know, for the abuse in which you were battling with in terms of the the domestic violence. Um, Would you say that is a good thing to do that, Jennifer? Would you say, because you was an addict, so are you continuing being an addict, or would you say that the medication really helped you come out of the depressive state that you were in? For me, it wasn't an issue for me. I knew I needed some kind of help. Um, and the medicine they prescribed was a non-habit-forming medication. My doctor knew that I had done coke in the past. Right, um, okay. Because some of my organs have been affected, and she wanted to know why, and so I told her that was that was probably why. Okay. Um, and so it was a non-habit-forming and I did it for, that was in April of 13, no, April of 12. No? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm bad with time frames. April of 13, and by um, February of 14, because I left in September, so that following February, I had felt strong enough that I could start weaning myself off of it, and I did. Okay, okay. And you say you left. And so what, what very very briefly what did what happened? What did what did you end up doing to I that- I didn't know how to leave cuz every time I I tried many times over the 5 years to leave and was not allowed. Right. Um one time I did make it out of the house and he hunted me down in in the van and and stopped and made me get in the, in, in the vehicle. Um, so I knew that if I cheated and he saw that I did, I knew that door would be open for me to walk out. And I am ashamed to admit this because I know that wasn't a right way to handle it. But at at the time, I was so out of sorts. I literally lost my mind. Literally, I would go insane on these crazy screaming fits and everything. Um, I didn't know what else to do. So I reached out to somebody, cheated one time, and allowed him to see the text messages because I left my phone out purposely when I went to go use the restroom. And when I came out, he was glaring at me. And uh, he tried to coax me again. If you promise you won't do this again, I'll let it go, all that stuff. And I said, you know what? All of a sudden, that light bulb clicked with me. At that mm-hmm. instant, I said, you know what? Those are just words coming out of your mouth. You say them. You don't mean them. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing it. He said, well, then you have to leave. I said, that's fine. I've already got an apartment set up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That was your breaking point. That was my breaking point. Wow, yeah. you got you got out of there. You got out of yours pretty smooth because <laughs> that it don't normally happen like that. Because I tell you, I would not suggest no victim. <laughs> no, do not do that because that was actually a dangerous move it on was my part. A dangerous move on your part, sister girl. Yeah. But thank God, you know, God had something else, so you were able to get out. You struggled okay. for a long time. You kept hearing the voices in your head about him. And we're going to be finishing up very briefly to our famous listeners, but i got to close this out right because we're going to send this link out. It's going to be people that's going to need this story. Um, you struggled for a long time. You, you kept hearing the voices in his head. Your daughter, eventually, you know, you guys became okay, right? Right. So what can you say to our victims, current victims that are listening, current abusers that are listening in, you know, should they go and get help, Jennifer? How important is getting help for domestic violence? 
is very important because even when you leave, the battle's not over. That voice of the person abusing you is so ingrained, so deep into your mind that you could be sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden you can hear it as if with me, it was almost like he was in the room. Um, Somebody maybe at work or something would say something similar or come at me in a similar way as the ex-husband and I would immediately get my defenses up, the walls would go up and you know, those those voices there there I think that was the hardest thing to get over was getting his thought pattern and his voices out of my head and creating a healthy thought pattern. And I couldn't have done that without the church that I was attending once I left. They were so instrumental in me healing. They were very supportive. My daughter and I were very transparent with them when we first showed up and they were extremely supportive. And if it hadn't been for them and if it hadn't been for my belief in God, I wouldn't have got through it. Wow. Thank you so much, um, Jennifer. We appreciate your amazing story. I mean, just transparency here tonight. Keep on sharing, Jennifer. Keep on sharing. I know tonight was your official first night sharing on a talk show, and we definitely thank you for that. You have blessed us with your story and just being open and giving us, you know, what we need to educate the community and get them to help us, you know, in the fight against domestic violence. So yet again, thank you so much for your story here tonight. Um, you heard you heard it loud and clear from the sisters who came on tonight to our listeners here tonight. I mean, just amazing, amazing energy being put out here tonight to help break the cycle of domestic violence. I know we had some people who may want to ask questions, but this is a intimate interview with Queen of Fee and our survivors who come on and share their stories of uh, there are some some survivors who are ready to take questions and, you know, get overwhelmed with your love, but then there's some who's not ready to take questions and be overwhelmed. So I kind of keep it neutral between me and the survivors of domestic violence. Oh, my goodness, if you don't go back and tell somebody that domestic violence wears many tags, whew, Queen going to have to come over there and, and have a talk. We're going to have to have a session. Because you heard all the tags here tonight. You heard verbal abuse. You heard physical abuse. You heard emotional abuse. You heard financial abuse. You heard sexual abuse. You heard all of the tags here tonight that were associated with both of the relationships. Both of our guests wore at least three to five. Now, that's five tags. Both of our guests wore at least three to five tags here tonight in the relationship. So educating on these tags to break the cycle is very important. We cannot only talk about physical abuse because physical abuse is not even the trimester of domestic violence. Let me tell you what it is. It's verbal abuse. It's emotional abuse. And as an abuser, for me, that's what's going to trap my victim. That verbal, uh, that verbal, that mouthpiece, the communication, that's what's going to get me another victim. It's not really the physical. It's going to be probably the verbal that's going to get me, that's going to get me another victim. All right. So what I'm saying to you is, let's let's be inclined about dating and courting and getting involved with someone. We need to take research say six months to a year. I say three to five years. You take time and date and get to know a person. The abuse ain't going to be able to happen. You know, don't rush into I do. Don't rush into I do because I do get a lot of people, like our sister was, get a lot of people uh, killed and hurt and beat because you rush into, you rush into these relationships. And, uh, and even me, I did it. I rushed into relationships and ended up getting bopped over my head many times. So. We just got to be careful and we got to tell the truth. And once again, thank you to our survivors who were here tonight. I kept y'all a little bit longer, but it was worth it. 
So I want y'all to do me a favor. If you have a friend request, you do that again on Facebook at Q-U-E-E-N-A-F-I, all one word. And then if you need to reach me offline, certainly you can do that at 202-821-8933. We were in the um, the Brokenness, the Boldness invite page where I posted some of the comments that our sisters talked about. So definitely um, chime in with us on Facebook. We're going to continue this conversation for a minute. So um, our guests, go into our um, event page and post some things there that was expressed here tonight on the Brokenness to Bowling Show. Um, yet again, thank you all for chiming in. Do me a favor. Tell somebody, domestic violence wears many tags. Go in peace and love, my brothers and sisters. Go in peace and love. Thank you for chiming in tonight. Peace and love, my brothers and sisters. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.